This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Cameron Lemons Debro. We have finally reached the last, we're about to be in March. We're recording this on February 29th. Tomorrow will be March when this is up, which means we're getting to crunch time. March Madness is upon us, which means everyone's absolutely obsessed with where my team is going in March. Am I ending up in Dayton? Am I ending up in the actual field? Am I going to the NIT? Or am I just going to stay home? It's been a huge topic for Wake Forest fans, I understand. So instead of bringing on someone that might be a little bit more, I don't want to say hated, but just not liked by the by the fan base right now, I decided to kind of reach out into the bracketology space and brought on JBR Bracketology. Um, I've been following his stuff throughout this year. Thought it's been pretty, pretty good follow. Uh, JBR, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? You know, doing great. It's a nice little Thursday. Um, I always love doing the whole, you know, ethos, you know, what got you here. But so how did you get started in the whole kind of bracketology space? Yeah, so I went to uh, Maryland. So I'm actually a Terps fan. And so I first really got into it, I would say, in in, in 2020, Maryland ended up winning the Big Ten regular season that year, we're sharing the title. And uh, I just kept feeling like Lenardi and some of the other guys were disrespecting my team. And I wanted to get into the numbers, get into, uh, you know, trying to better understand what are they looking at that, um, that I'm not right. Um, Cause I kept seeing Maryland kind of on the three line. And I kept feeling like they should have been a two seed, right. Or closer to a one <laughs> seed. And I'm like, what, you know, I, it was just the curiosity of what they're seeing that I'm not, and so that that's kind of what started it. And then, of course, 2020, the tournament gets canceled and um, that absolutely sucked. But I've been kind of kind of into it ever, ever since then. So just kind of a little bit on JBR, you know, if you go on a bracketmatrix.com, which is kind of where every, you know, the top bracket bracketeers, bracket veterans, bracket newbies, it ranks on how well they did in terms of projecting the bracket. Uh, for JBR, I think you were 37th last year out of, out of the newbies and so in the top 40. I think that that sounds right. I honestly did not look. <laughs> I, I, I did okay. I could have yeah, done better. It was, it, was, it was a pretty good score from what I saw and just going and going back through things. It matched up pretty well with people that have, you know, yeah. pretty nice followings on TV and the, the internet. <laughs> there, there are people that did better than me and there's yeah. plenty of people that did worse than me. So yeah. 
And so, you know, I'm not going to ask you to sit here and go through all the you know, 25, 30 different processes you have, but, you know, what's your standard process when it comes to, you know, when you're trying to build a field, you know, day by day, week by week? So I'm, I'm a little bit more analytical. You know, my degree was in engineering. I'm very much into the numbers um, and kind of into the science of it. So I start with kind of more of a formulaic approach where I, you know, I pull in all of the metrics. There's five different metrics that the, uh, that the committee uses. That's on the team sheets that every committee member is given. One is the net that uh, I think everyone should be aware of at this point. Um, <laughs> and then there's two resume metrics, the KPI and strength of record. And then there's two efficiency metrics, which are BPI and Kempom. So I pull in those five metrics uh, I pull in the strength of schedule, I pull in the non-conference strength of schedule, pull in all the quad records, the quad 1A records, pull in the road records, all, all of that. And, you know, there's a formula that I've kind of developed over the last five seasons that does a pretty good job of matching, you know, what the committee emphasizes through the years. I spent a lot of time tweaking it. Um, but at the same time, there's things that the numbers cannot account for. Um, such as wins against the field. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else injuries, right? Like right. certain narratives or, or even just being in first place in the conference. Like one thing that definitely seems like the committee um, respects or give teams, gives teams a little bit of a bump, you know, when you win your conference regular season title, which is fair, but the metrics don't know that. Right. So right. I, I have to adjust for that. So I, you know, I start with kind of a formulaic approach, but then I have to go through and see, you know, kind of team by team, what things uh, that the committee typically looks for that may not be fully, um, fully covered by the numbers, the data, the metrics. Right. So when, when you're going through this process, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best way to word this. When it comes to people being in the field versus seeding, you know, is one a little bit more science than art? Or is it kind of easier to say, okay, this is who, who my 68 are going to be? And then seeding or just be like, this is just kind of a ranking I of how think, it's going to be. Yeah. So, I mean, right now the cut line is 45 teams. I think the first 40 or so teams are pretty cut and dry. It's really just those last two to four teams in and those first two to four teams out where, you know, you, you can have 10 people in a room and, and not everyone is going to agree on the order of those teams. Right. Um, and not everyone's going to agree on which team should be in or out. So it's really trying to make your best guess of what you think um they're going to emphasize or not emphasize but one one common thread through the years is that if you have a poor non-conference strength of schedule and you're on the bubble you are in danger so when you i want to kind of flush that more when you mean poor do you is it more of you know 300 more 300 or higher 280 270 like kind of where's the cutoff or where you're just like hey you got to, you need to you know, worry about that. I, I used to think it was more in the 275 to 300 range, but I saw an article recently where they referenced Texas A&M's non-conference strength schedule two years ago, and it was like 240. Okay. And they said that that was part of why, but I, I think that's a little bit of BS. I, I think the committee screwed up and, and Texas A&M should have been in. The field two years ago, I think they were trying to grasp at anything as to <laughs> justifying their selection. Um, but yeah, I would say, generally speaking, kind of kind of around that two fifty mark. Okay. 
Um, I mean, just for Wake fans listening to this, if you're not in numbers, Wake's net out of conference, I think right now is 261. So not exactly where you want to be, but it's also not. So I remember, what, it was at NC State a couple years ago where they were in 313 or something like that. And it was just Right, like that was right. Awful. You really don't want to be in the 300s. And that's why, I mean, I, I know we're mostly talking about Wake Forest, but at least for Pittsburgh, like that, that's been my concern for Pittsburgh and why I said, I'm like, if you're a Pittsburgh fan, you cannot end up on the bubble. You're their non-conference strength schedule is three forty-four. I mean, you're just you got no shot, and that, no shot. that involves a loss to a Missouri team that has is been was winless in the con- in right. the conference. Exactly. So you know, before we get to the ACC, I guess Wake in general, you know, throughout your process, are there any things you felt like throughout the bracket community, you things that are kind of overvalued versus undervalued? Uh, I, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing might just be the, the whole non-conference thing. I mean, the metrics take into account every game you play it and weight them equally. Your overall strength of schedule takes into your full strength of schedule and weights every game equally. So I, I don't love the committee's overemphasis on non-conference strength of schedule when, you know, every other data point already takes into account the non-conference strength of schedule. You know, it's already built in. So I, I don't love the way they... Um, differentiate with that. And I, I think it's actually hurting probably some of the big, it's going to hurt some of the big 12 teams a little bit more. Um, I know there's been a lot of discussion about the big 12s <laughs> quote unquote gaming of the system, but um, I think it's going to hurt some of the big 12 teams a little bit more, but at the same time, you know, it, I, I don't know that we need as much of an emphasis on the non-conference when at this point, you know, most of these leagues, you know, the ACC big 10, um, Big East, you know, they're playing 20 league games. That's two thirds of your games. I, and I mean, I know that's a, that's a, a problem. I think I, it's weird to call it a problem of, you know, playing your own conference, but I think that's something the coaches have expressed. They want to, they want that to change, but obviously television has decided that's not changing anytime soon. Right. So right. Um, I do have a big bullet point of big 12, but cause there's been this whole sort of thing with the ACC against the big 12. And at first was the mountain West. I think, I think all the ACC fans were just like this team, this conference isn't that good, but I think it shifted more towards the big 12. And I, and I, I don't want to say it's fair or unfair, but I mean, when you, when you comb through things, I know you said like non-conference makes like it's a value, but sometimes overvalued. I think when, when ACC fans see things like, you know, it feels, it feels awkward to say like, you know, we played a solid schedule. I think, wait, I think the ACC had 36 Q1 games versus 18 or 19 for the big 12. I don't want to, I don't, I don't think they've manipulated the meta. I don't, I don't, I don't think the big 12 sat here in a, in a room and said, let's just go ahead and game this metric. But do you think sometimes there is a little bit of a, of an over-reliance in terms of just saying, Hey, like, you know, this is what the net told us at the beginning of the year. And we're just going to have to run through, run with that going on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, the committee is going to use the metrics that that they're given. Um, you, you know, they they're going they're going to make a, make their own judgments um, based off uh, you know their own whatever narratives they hear, where you know whatever they've seen, whatever games they watch, they're going to make their own judgments. But I, I do think that some of these Big Twelve teams, especially the ones with non conference strength schedules above three hundred. Um, it's going to hurt their seed. I'm looking at the Big 12 right now. You have BYU, Texas Tech, TCU, and Iowa State all had a non-conference strength of schedule of 300 or higher. And all four of those are, are fairly safely in the field right now. Um, and, and I do think it hurt Iowa State. I think Iowa State got, got pushed down two spots in the 
reveal um, right. two weeks ago because of that non-conference strength schedule. And I, and I guess I guess the follow-up to that is, do you think that plays like a better, a bigger, a big part in terms of kind of the floor of the league? Because I know one of the big things for the ACC is the fact that you have a team like Louisville who is just so bad. They are, they are a miserable team, but then you look at the rest of the conference and you really see teams like Georgia Tech and Notre Dame, and they have not been great at all, but it feels like there's more of an emphasis on when an ACC team loses to a Georgia Tech or a Notre Dame versus when someone loses to like a West Virginia or loses to like a Michigan, both have been awful teams, but it just feels like when those two, when those two lose, if you lose to a UNC loses to Georgia Tech and it's like, this is just awful versus you know West Virginia, Kansas has a West Virginia loss. And I feel like, but they're still probably two or three seed at this point right now. <laughs> yeah, I I see that narrative a lot, and, and it, it's not true for me just because yeah. of kind of the way I approach the the bracketology and the way that um, you know my formula kind of the formula looks at um, and the metrics do too. You know, lose it. They don't look at the name on right. the front of the jersey, right? They look at the net number. They look at the actual metric value of that team. So losing on the road to a West Virginia who's number 144 is going to be fairly comparable um, to a Notre Dame who's number 134 or Georgia Tech is 136. So I know that that narrative exists, right? Like how can Kansas lose to West Virginia and still be a two seed? It's like, well, Kansas has six quad one A wins and, you know, they have wins over Tennessee and, um, a win over UConn and Houston. I mean, they've got some good wins. They got some really good wins. I mean, it, it, it's not that they're not being punished. It's just that they have some really good wins and multiple really good wins that just it doesn't allow them to fall as much as um, as much as other teams. And then the other side of it is there's a lot more space in between teams on the top two or three seed lines than there are around the bubble around the bubble. I mean, the teams are so tightly bunched that you pick up one quad one win, you're jumping two seed lines minimum, you know, right. but like Alabama goes on the road and beats Ole Miss last night by 10. They don't move a single spot. Right. Iowa state blows out Oklahoma at home. They don't move a single spot. You know, it's like, right. You don't really move. There's just not as much um, opportunities to move up when they're, when all the resumes are so strong at the top or down. And is that something you kind of like think about when you're putting stuff out you know, by week? Because I think you put stuff out usually like Monday or Tuesday and then a Friday sort of update. Mm-hmm. It feels like, like you said, there's there's so little space between, you know, your last four buys and your first four and next four out that people are always constantly looking for updates of like, oh, no, this happened Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Like, But it feels like there's it almost feels like there's almost too much information happening over the course of the week. Do you ever feel like it's just like. Maybe I need to tone. I need to tone it back and just be like, okay, this is what's going to happen at a, at a macro level because it's just it's so fluid at that that level. People, yeah, and like looking at that. And I know you had asked, um, you know, for my seed list as we were going in into this conversation. Yeah, so I I usually do an update on Monday and Friday because you do too many intermediate updates. It it just creates more questions and more of like, you know teams move around a little bit in my spreadsheet day to day, even when they're not playing, because right. you might have a quad one win become quad two, which just happened to Wake Forest, right? They lo- I don't know if you realize this, they lost yep. a quad one win to Florida overnight because Florida fell out of the top 30. So there's always little micro movements day to day, even when a team doesn't play. So I feel like, you know, to your point about just kind of too much information that if I put it out every day, it would just be, 
it would seem illogical, even though <laughs> like I could explain every move if I really wanted to, but right. there, there would be several things every day that would seem illogical that wouldn't make sense um, to someone looking at it at face value. So yeah, that's why um, at least, at least until early March, I just do the two updates, but um, probably starting next week, I might move to three updates per week. Right. I mean, it's only two um, games left in general. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you know, as as we're getting further in, teams just aren't moving that much. I mean, even Seton Hall and Providence, who got blown out last night on the on the road to good teams, but both of them barely fell. Right. So you know, taking this bet to the ACC, you know, I think right now, I think it's I feel like it's pretty safe to say there's three locks in UNC, Duke, Clemson, and then. Of Virginia, then I guess I'll put them all in the same group: Virginia, Wake, Pitt, and Syracuse. I feel like that's kind of the the remaining four that have a chance without winning out, well, winning the ACC tournament. Is that is that a kind of a fair assumption of kind of where we sit with things right now with them? Yeah, yeah, I I think Pitt's gonna have a pretty hard time. Like I talked about with their non conference strength of schedule, like they they can't be one of those last two or three teams that are deciding on when your non conference strength of schedule is number three forty four. Like that's just. It's not a good spot to be. I have Virginia Tech just behind them, but uh, I, I think I think they might be too far back at this point. They they had a really good non conference win over Iowa State, and that's right. been the one bright spot on their resume all <laughs> season. Uh, but I, they just they just haven't done enough in conference play. I don't think. Yeah, there's oh wow, there's seven and ten in the ACC right now. Yeah, they have not. I think they have won. I think it's one road game, one or two road games. They have not been good on the road. Like, like it's not calling a space yeah. for a team that hasn't been good, but they have not I've, been good on the road. I pulled in the road records yesterday, and I have Virginia Tech at one and nine in true road games. Yeah, and on one win was NC State in January. So <laughs> yeah, no, I'm looking at Virginia Tech right now. So they get Wake Forest at home, and then they get Louisville and Notre Dame. Given how far back they are, I don't know that winning even all three of those games would be enough to get them in the field. So I guess the follow-up there is, is it more likely in your eyes that you have a four-bit ACC or a six-bit? Ooh, that's a good question. So I feel like five is the number that we end up at, but it's it's always going to be – I feel like that, that sort of confidence interval is a little, a little interesting. I'm going to say six um, just because I felt like, and I recognize not everyone will agree with me on this, but I felt like the committee actually gave the ACC a lot of respect with the bids they got last year. Yeah. Uh, Just as someone who really pours over the data, the quads, the metrics, all of that, I felt like every ACC team got as good of a seat as they could have relative to the metrics. Um, Now, are the metrics unfair or biased to the ACC? I don't know. I, I don't <laughs> think they are, but they're certainly not helping the ACC, right? So I felt like the committee gave the benefit of the doubt as much as they could reasonably get away with um, last year. So with that in mind and knowing that the ACC does grade out much better this year than last year, um, I I sense that we would see uh, that we could see something similar at the bubble and that's why i've been giving a little bit of a bump actually in acc teams in my in my formula so i actually have virginia up at the nine line i went forest as the last four in uh 11 seed 
But um, I think Wake Forest is in good shape as long as they can win two of the last three. They're going to have to win one of at Virginia Tech or home versus Clemson. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like I feel like that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, I feel like that makes sense at least for Wake, just in terms of I feel like it's either you got to win a road game or you got to win you know, a, a game against a team right. that's probably a four or five seed in term. But I feel like there's, that's a non-negotiable at this point. <laughs> right. Exactly. So either way, is Clemson top 30 right now in the net? I yeah, they are. 24th. Yeah. Yeah. So either way, uh, Wake Forest would have to pick up another quad one win, but by definition with, with one of those wins. I think that's completely fair. So, I mean, kind of taking a step back, you know, with Wake, what's the picture with them? What What's, what's positive about them and what's, you know, keep keeping you a little bit hesitant here yeah i i had a good tweet um i'm gonna look it up real quick recently about um about wake forest um let's see so their their efficiency metrics are really strong um obviously epton reed joining the ever since he joined the lineup december 6th um, let's see, this tweet was before the Notre Dame game. It was on February 26th, but, um, Wake Forest was number 16 in the country in adjusted efficiency per Torvik since December 6th. So I think that the committee's actually going to give Wake Forest a decent seed as long as they earn their way into the field, right? If they lose two of their last three and they don't earn their way in the field, then, then it's not going to help them. But I think the way that they've actually played over the last three months is going to help their seed. They're, they have very strong efficiency metrics, tempo on BPI, net. Um, like I said, they've, they've been playing really well with the team that they're going to have in the NCAA by tournament. That's an important distinction and something that the committee will discuss is what's, what team is Wake Forest going to have in the field, right? Are they going to have the field? Are they going to have the team uh, from November that lost to LSU, Utah, and Georgia, or are they going to have the team that they've had, you know, over the last three months where they've been arguably a top 20 team. Right. right. So I, I actually think Wake Forest has a decent shot at a single digit seed as long as they can win two of these last three. So, I mean, the Upton thing is a little bit, it's interesting to me. And I, I actually jotted it down before this. Uh, they haven't moved from 16th, even with that Notre Dame loss in there. So they're still, they're still there. And then, you know, if you pull it with just Q2 and Q1 games, they're 24. So, you know, I feel like that's something that you, I know you mentioned you're very data kind of driven there. And I feel like a lot of people are as well. Is that something to kind of encourage Wake fans? Because that's something you can't quantify is, you know, what the metric, what, what the effect of Efton Reed is with, with Wake Forest, because you can't, while we think, you know, Efton Reed is a big piece for us and the metrics say that you don't know if the committee is going to do that yet, just yet. Yeah, there's, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but there, there are, avenues for um basically representative from each school that right. talks to another representative that kind of kind of um pitches for each school within the acc of of why they should get a better seed right why they should be included in the tournament what the committee members may not know about way for so ideally you know someone someone is uh is speaking on wake forest behalf and mentioning these things right because as much as the committee acts like they follow the sport and watches games i i, I have i have my doubts I, I, <laughs> at the very least they're not watching as much as i am i'll, I'll say that what do you what do you mean the committee's not up at 11 30 at night watching the acc network <laughs> no no there's no way they were watching oregon oregon state on that uh ridiculous court last night like i was no there's there's too much 
to go on for them to watch. And like, I would, I would honestly have a problem with that because I'm like, what else are you doing with your lives at this right. point? It's like, it's like athletic directors and high ranking official. I'm like, yeah. there's no way. There's you no have, way. You have other jobs. <laughs> exactly. I know the big war for Wake Forest right now is their road record. And I think that kind of compounds itself with their strength of record. So I think their SOR is what 52nd right now, um, but they're, you know, their wake, their road records two and eight. One thing that I've been kind of weary on is more still not so much that the the record is bad, but just in, in terms of everyone else, because I mean, being two and eight just isn't good on the road, no matter how you slice it. Like I think they're what three and 10, if you include neutrals, that feels like a like a red flag for Wake, but it also feels like something that isn't brought up as much for other teams. Like, yeah, I think I, I updated someone else's tweet the other day, but it was, you know, Wisconsin's three and eight, St. John's three and three and six, Nebraska's three and seven, Northwestern three and six. It feels like this is one thing that's like brought up for Wake specifically, but not a ton of other people. Is it more so that's just the big red flag now for Wake, or is it just there's something else that's just really going on there? <laughs> I think part of it might just be as a Wake Forest fan, you're more likely to see yeah. criticisms of Wake Forest. I mean, I I think any team that's two and eight or comparable in right. in road games is, is going to be brought up as a red flag. Um, I know Nebraska has been mentioned several times. Uh, they're two and seven on the road. They they play at Ohio State tonight, but yeah, I mean, a, any team that has that poor of a win percentage in in true road games is going to be brought up and then um yeah you mentioned neutral i mean they're one and two in neutral with the one win versus towson um so yeah they they get another opportunity saturday at virginia tech it won't be easy but um at the same time it, it it's a winnable game kempom has wake forest favored by one and that's actually a little bit shocked because i know torvik has his you know uv not uv vt minus a little bit um now and, and i feel like you know what do you think is kind of the next sort of step in terms of looking at all of like the stuff, like the metrics, because I know the, the, the net has been something very people don't like, and I think you can game it. Like I think Wake Forest has been kind of a net merchant for a bit, not saying the ACC is bad, but they moved up more beating, you know, the hell out of Georgia tech in Syracuse. And they did beating a quad one, a team. Like, I feel like that's something where it feels a little bit more too predictive than resume. And so what do you think the next step is in terms of like, these sort of metrics that we're kind of staring at to be like, Hey, this is what you need to focus on for the tournament. Yeah. I, I definitely wish the net had a little bit more of a resume component. Um, it, you know, if you look at it, it, it really tracks pretty closely with Kempom and other efficiency metrics. Um, but at the same time, I think for, for Wake Forest, it's really just those resume metrics. Like you mentioned, the, the number 52 strength, the record, it's not terrible, but it's not good either, right? Um, so to me, I, I would say when discussing inclusion in the field, I think strength of record is the number one most important metric. But once once you get more into actually seeding the field, then I think some of the efficiency metrics become a little bit more important. And that was part of my tweet the other day about Wake Forest. You know, I said – if they earn their way in, I think they're going to get a decent seed because of some of the other things in their profile. It's just getting um, in. <laughs> it's just getting in, right? They they have to earn their way in um, because the, the committee does have two different protocols um, in terms of how they how they uh, vote teams into the field. But then uh, a secondary 
vote is then for how to seed the field. It's two different steps. Right. And I know, I think that's something that people don't necessarily know. I think people just kind of think everyone's on a board and just like, no, we're picking with, no, this is what UNC looks like next to Tennessee. It's like, no, it's not. They, they, they'll, they'll pick a name out of a hat, UNC, and say, are you in? Yes, cool. We're not going to talk about you. And then it's when you get to the last 10, 12 teams that you're in consideration, then it's like, okay, now we can start actually comparing these teams. Right. They, they have a very, very detailed list of rules procedures on how to vote teams into the field and they go down from 12 to eight to six to four and then they you know they vote on this they vote on that they discuss that like it's quite a process which is part of the reason why they end up seeding so much of the field you know two or even three days before selection sunday I, i know it's been a major talking point about how much of the conference tournaments really matter for seeding and and in some ways they don't really matter that much after kind of thursday afternoon friday or i would say somewhere between thursday evening and friday afternoon there's very little impact in my opinion from the conference tournaments because by then the committee has already voted on sea lines for for the most part not not everything but for the most part I think that's a very interesting point to bring up because I know people like, sort of in the wake side of things have asked, you know, what if Wake goes, you know, two and one or one or goes one and two and wins a couple in the AC tournament? I, and for me, I haven't really addressed it because I don't think they put any credence on that, even though there didn't there used to be a last 10 game sort of metric they used to use. And now they've just kind of thrown away with it. And I think that was kind of a big reason Texas A&M got snubbed because they just said, we're not caring about the tournament. But hey, is there... Is Wake one of those teams that maybe an, an exception is possibly made just because of how wonks? I feel like Wake's resume is just fascinating. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just a fascinating sort of like experiment this year. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't think so. Uh, I mean, somewhere around Friday is when they're kind of going to uh, to finalize their last four in team. So um, everything up until Friday, I, I think, is included in full, but um friday and saturday probably not considered now the acc tournament is one day earlier than uh than at least the big 10 sec the acc final is saturday so at least it'll be through the quarterfinals of of um thursday right um i can i can't let you out of here without an eye test question because i know that's the one thing if you're on the opposite side of the data you're like well why why can't you just see that these teams are have played well played not you know how much does the eye test actually factor i know you're more data but in terms of you people you've talked to and also in the bracket space like how much does the eye test actually make a difference here like this team has has an incredibly high ceiling versus man i don't know how this team functions at all <laughs> I think very little. I, I mean, you could pick literally any team and there's going to be games where they look horrible and there's going yeah. to be games where they look like they're the best team in the league. You know, it's, it's really, uh, it's really difficult to tell. And, and, you know, two people can watch the same game and have a different takeaway from how good a team is. You know, I watched the Iowa state at Houston game and I came away thinking, wow, Iowa state is really good. Someone else might say, well, yeah, but they, they lost by nine. I mean, are they really that good? I, I don't know. Right. They look good to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they lost. I, I don't know. Um, so I, I think we'd be putting a little bit too much trust and faith in the in the athletic directors and whoever else is on the committee of, of who they think is better 
just watching <laughs> watching <laughs> the handful of games that they watch. So um, I largely defer to uh, to the more objective measures, and you know the, the the objective numbers and metrics are what is in front of the committee. But at the same time, they they do have their own personal biases. Some are from mid majors, some are from low majors, some are from uh, you know power conference blue bloods. I mean, it's 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 a mix. You know, yeah. you got a lot of different voices in the room. You know, final question for you. You know, cars on the table right now. We're on selection Sunday. Wake Forest getting in or are they get or they getting left out? I will say ten seed. Okay, I think everyone will be happy, even though that ten seed yeah. might ten seed can't go to Dayton. I'm just I'm trying to make sure because they could date ten seed. They, in Dayton. they cannot go to Dayton, and I would not not discount a possible chance at getting Charlotte with uh, paired up with Tennessee. If Tennessee is a two seed. Wake Forest could be in Charlotte as a 10 seed. You might have just gained probably, you know, however many Wake Forest fans are going to listen to this as, as followers, because I think landing in Charlotte would be a dream come true, especially for a team that has not been to the tournament in a while besides Dayton and you know, loves playing it close to home. But there's a chance. Maybe there's this a chance. Has been... Everything has to align perfectly, but I will <laughs> say there is a chance um, that they could get Charlotte. I, I would love it. So, but JBR, this has been fantastic. Where can everyone find your work? Sure. Yep. You follow, follow me on Twitter at JBR Bracketology. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Before I get to Notre Dame and then turning the page to Virginia Tech, obviously, one thing that has come about in the last 24 to 40 hours has been oh my goodness, Damari Monsanto's social media has been spooky sort of a dan if i do dan if i don't kind of talk about this um, i don't like talking about things that i don't have direct knowledge of or just good information on like I, it's it's hard because i don't like speculating especially on college students because you know they do stupid stuff they do a bunch of stuff that's moody and all over the place so here's the thing on damari I'm gonna start with just the health. That knee's just not good. Like, yeah, I think he got he's gotten better and better, you know, as he's come along, but he's nowhere near where he wants to be or his team and where the team needs him. Like he's just not there. Like he he's not. He's good enough to play some spot minutes here and there, but it, it's just not good enough. Like the knee the, like the knee just isn't good enough. And you can tell he's pressing and that's that's getting into a shot and everything. And it's it's just spiraling into another. He's doing a lot of other things well. Like I think he's defending some like at times very, very well. I think he's passing pretty well as well. It but it's one of those things that it's really, really frustrating to do have to do these things, but like the thing that you know you're good at, the thing that you're like you were brought here to do, which is shoot, 
you can't do it. You're not even playing like the position you're supposed to be playing. Like he's supposed to be a three. Like he more than likely would be kind of your spelling hunter. And, you know, you can kind of mess around with lineups with him. Now he just kind of has to play the four. Like he has to be a direct backup to Andrew Carr because he cannot guard threes to save, to save his life right now because that knee's just not good. I don't know if it gets better next year. I, I honestly don't. It's one of those things of, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I stay in my lane. But, you know, it's a really, really hard injury to work your way back. And, you know, I think that setback really pushed him back a lot more than we thought. I, I, I struggle. I, I want to see what happens with him after an actual like, off season where he is not rehabbing. Because this is the first, I think it's the first one in a while he's had, he hasn't been rehabbing. But I feel like I've been pretty straightforward in terms of I thought, Tamari would be right there with Hunter in terms of the people if I expected them. Other people, I think Jow is not so much of a, they want to kick him off the team, more of a, I, I think it's one of those things that the, the injury has him just too far. He's just not going to be an ACC level anymore. Finding a fresh start somewhere else. You know, we need to be able to, we need to just do something with that spot. I think Damari's has been there with Hunter in terms of like, dude, like, I just don't know. Like, it's hard to envision uh, it, it's I can see a world where they bring him back and I think it would be really fun and I think they they love him obviously like he is a son to it to Steve Forbes uh, he is an absolute son to him but between the knee and the fact that I mean it's been very well documented that like him and Damari have a very like interesting relationship like Damari is not the easiest to deal with like and I, I you know he's had to throw him out of practice a few times I mean, his demeanor isn't always the best. You know, he has he's had to like work with him like on a lot of stuff. And Demari's also had a lot of stuff going on in his personal life, like not just the injury, but like his his sister dying in a car accident. Like Demari has had some stuff going on his entire life, and that's just, and it's just it's like Demari is is tough. Like he he's worked through a lot of adversity in his life. There are also just some some things that you know, like you gotta be you gotta be better about. Like he's just gotta keep his head on straight. Putting just putting it plainly, you know, I I think at a certain point you start trying to find the balance of if you're Steve Forbes, you know, what is this worth? You know, especially because once because one of the big things about Demario was he wanted to get his degree. Like he's he, his mom wanted him to get his degree, and he's going to get it this year. You know, once he gets that, you know, you can't hide it wake forever, man. Like you can't. Like you, you, you just you get you can find ways to, but you, I think it's a little bit easier in football than it is basketball because football, like, basically get a, you basically get the summer, and you know maybe the spring, but basically like summer and fall of of classes, and then you're you're out you're out skis. Yeah, I go through that full that full fall semester <laughs> of classes, man. and you know, like I. If I had to place a bet right now, I don't. I would. I would place it on Mario Antonio not being on the team next year, not for anything bad. But I think it's just one of those things of it just might be best for both parties. It might be best for Damari to go somewhere, and, and you know, if he can get healthy, cool. If he can't, like, I, you can't. This is the third time in three years that you had to deal with missing Damari for a long stretch of time. When he tore, when he popped his Achilles, he blew out in twenty twenty two when he. Blew out his knee last year, and then now 
recovering from said knee injury, you know, cost him essentially until what, January, mid-January. It's the same sort I mean, it's in the same vein of Zhao in terms for Steve of like, I haven't been able to count on you being healthy for three years now. And like, that's tough. Like that's a roster spot. You can't like, it's, and it's not Damari's fault. Like it's, it's not, I you're just a broken person, but it's one of those things of like, if Steve wants to win, like he has to have like people where we can continue to talk about, well, there's no death or here and this. It's because like, you know, your prime death keeps getting hurt. And like, that sucks. Like that sucks for the person getting hurt. That sucks for the coach. <laughs> like that sucks for everybody. Like you get, you have to deal with them being hurt and you have to deal with, you know, off the field stuff. And you're just like, you know, at what point is that worth it? Whatever, you know, however X dollars that you could spend retaining him, especially if it ends up being some sort of bidding war or anything like that. If if it ends up being a bidding war, you know, like how much is it worth? Is the juice worth the squeeze at this point? It's like, look, I can just, I, you've been, a, if you're Steve, you've been a pretty proven portal guy. You know, you can just take that money and go get and go get and just go find someone. And, you know, it sucks to reduce, you know, a player like that, because and I, I think, again, I think the relationship they have is a very unique and special relationship. But it's also one of those things that this is also a business like, you know, like I, Steve's job is to protect his players, but it's also to win. And, you know, if he's sitting here trying to you know avoid people's feelings being hurt. It's not gonna. It's not gonna lead the wins, and so you know that's kind of the reason some people haven't been playing. Not Damari, but like, if you're not good enough to play, you're not good enough to play. And I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but like, if we're not good enough to play. You're just not like this dude's trying to win. So that's kind of where I'm at, in Damari. Um, you know, I you know, I there you would not. I think if you go through much weeks, you would not be able to find more than two people that are bigger Damari Monsanto fans than I am. I love the dude. I really hope he gets healthy, and I really hope you know there's there's a future here at Wake Forest. But it's it's one of those things of, you know, I, and I also think winning here is a lot. You know, I think if they get back on track this weekend, I think think things quiet down a bit. But it's a, I I'm just choosing not to worry about this right now. This team has Demaru. I'm decently sure will play. I don't. I haven't heard anything to the contrary. But you no know, hedging. But I I haven't haven't heard anything about Demaru not playing on Saturday expect him to i i i am fully focused on you know how this season plays out i will worry about next season's roster when it's time to worry about next season's roster but like i'm just not entertaining it at this point i will i will entertain it second you know either it's an if it's an nit or if it's a wake force doesn't make the tournament cool fine whatever but until until either until either that happens or they lose the NCAA tournament just not dealing with it that is just going to be my stance on that and kind of nip that in the bud there flipping it to a still a sore subject Notre Dame Notre Dame played some good defense I, I can't I they didn't they didn't do anything differently and I and I've seen a few people say that you know they've switched up this and this they they didn't do anything differently they they honestly did not um, wake didn't make shots like there's multiple different possessions on you can look and it's like you know they wake misses a shot gets the rebound kicks out to damari clank three just doesn't go in we have one where you know it's a pretty similar thing to what they were doing against against duke where you know boop gets penetration to the to the basket 
you know, curls around, swings to a wide open Parker Friedrichsen, who was minus 15 in this game, by the way. Parker was not good in this game. Like defensively, he would, he could not handle burden. Offensively, he couldn't hit a three. Like Parker wasn't good in this game. And that was, that was tough because Damari wasn't good. Parker wasn't good. Hunter wasn't good. Boop wasn't good in the second half. Like you're not going to win games like that. You just aren't. If those guys aren't hitting shots, you're just not. But yeah, there's a play where Boop curls around, hits Parker for in rhythm. No one is even close to Parker in the corner. Misses it. A couple possessions later, you know, they hit Parker for another wide open three no, no one's within like five to six feet of him nothing and it's not bashing parker like he's a freshman i think he, i sat here a few days ago and said i think sophomore and junior parker is going to be insanely good he's a freshman he's gonna have to work through stuff it's life sometimes he's gonna play you know 10 minutes because he's not playing well out there the three and d guy isn't playing well on offense and he's not defending well it's not much else you can do with him at that on that game but yeah they they just missed like it's not just those two like Hunter Hunter looked exhausted, like mentally, like not physically. Hunter looked mentally just fried. I mean, it was, I mean, that's why you call it a trap game. It looked like he spent a ton of mental energy and, you know, just it, and it bled over to the game. And he just, he already hasn't really been that aggressive in second halves this year. Like, I think, I mean, it's, it was even noticed in the, noted in the Duke game. Like, they didn't take bad shots because of it, but his last shot in the Duke game was just a little bit under eight minutes left in the, in the half. Like, you know, I, this is, this is your lead player. I mean, this, and that's the last shot he takes. Like, you know, it, it worked out, but you know, that's, that's not what you kind of expect. Same sort of thing here. He just didn't, he was, he was really passive most of the game anyways. And yeah, dribbles off his, off his foot to tend to kind of end the game. I, it was a clear, I thought it was not thought it was a clear foul. Like that was a completely missed call on that. But like, Hunter also can't triple it off his foot. Like he just can't. So and then I thought I thought Boot played well in the first half. In the second half, like he was just not good. He he just was not. Um, you know, I I I have I've had this thought and I will still kind of think it I'll still kind of put it out there. You know, I I, I still think that they go after regard, or I think regardless of you know what happens, even if you know Hunter does come back, I still think they go after regard. I, I don't think I think you can expect Spoop to take the next level. I think Spoop will take will take a, a, a step next year. But it has been jarring that on the road, like it, and it has just not mattered if it's been older, younger, same age. Like he has not he has not performed well at on the road. Like it like it's not and everyone hasn't like it's everyone has had their had their games. Andrew Carr had a miserable game. I thought defensively he was solid, but offensively I thought he was just not good. It, it like burden kind of busts his ass like on, on Tuesday. I like, think he played well against Virginia. Like he did not play well. He got straight up benched against Duke. He didn't play well in the second in the second half against Pitt. Didn't play well against UNC. Didn't play well against against DJ Horn. Like it has been a thing. Like on the road, he has not played well. And you know, I, I think it's one of those things where. Like, I think that's probably that's kind of a reason why if Zhao, if when Zhao is on this team, you need, you need someone to, to spell him because Parker can't do it. I, I, I love Parker. And I think the biggest thing holding him back is the fact that he's not ever going to be like a, a true like point. That's not going to be, that's not his game. He's a two third. He's a two or three. Like he's someone that if you absolutely have to have him handle the ball, you know, you're not, 
super scared, but it's, he's not going to be your first, second, or probably third option to handle the ball, which is fine. That's not everyone's game. Like that's this is know your this is knowing your personnel. I I think they have to get someone in the portal that is you know capable of being a a point guard. You know, I I thought you know going into the year, like Hunter might have been might have been their first option, and then Boop came along. Boop got came along very very well over summer, and you know during November, December, and even early January stretch, like he's been good. Like he was good, and he closed Duke. He was good against Pitt at home. He was good against Georgia Tech. He was good against Houston State. You know, Boop has this moment. You see, like, okay, this guy is going to, like, we see this happening. But then it's just on the road. He's just not been, he has just not done well. You know, it's part of that Hunter being a little bit passive and, you know, him and Cam have to push a little more, possibly. I think that's a very reasonable take. But I don't, I, I think there is a, a thought process of, Hey, you know, we, we will look out for a guard next year. Not, and not someone may, not necessarily someone that's going to be a, a, a grad transfer, especially now that, you know, the rules are lax and you can transfer as many times as you want without sitting. It's one of those things that, you know, they were trying to get DJ Horn for a reason. And I don't, I don't, I, don't, I think it was partially because of Chow's injury history. You don't really know what Chow is. And partially because you also do have to, like, I, I think that was part of the risk they understood with Boop was, yes, but I think they understand he has all the talent in the world, but they also understand that he only played a year. And there are going to be some growing pains. And, you know, sometimes people grow up through those growing pains and sometimes people don't. And I don't think that this season has proved that he won't grow out of them because I mean, he, again, he's had games. He's bounced back from, from horrible games to some really, really good ones. But it's one of those things that you have to sit here and be realistic and kind of, kind of say, look, like we gotta, we gotta make sure we have some insurance here. Like you, you, you didn't, you don't really have insurance right now. And you now have to make sure, I think next year you have to make sure you have insurance and say, look, if it doesn't, if it doesn't happen next year, we gotta have something to, to go to if that's not working. So, but yeah, I, I thought it was just a, they played and it was another, you played a horrible game and you still could have won the game. Like, I think the most surprising thing and the shots have been what they are on the road, but I think the surprising thing is how poorly the bigs handled the double team. I thought Efton and especially Carr did not handle double teams well at all. That's been kind of their bread and butter all year is passing well out of the doubles. That was a thing is even like, even on the road, like Duke on the road, like, Car out of the double, Afton out of the double, Pittsburgh, same same sort of thing. They operated extremely well out of doubles. They did not operate out of out of well out of double teams at all, like just at all. And you know, I I don't I, I don't under have a reason why that was the, this is the first time that's happened all year. So I can't even call that a road split. That's just the first time that they have not operated well out of the doubles all year. But it comes down to, to to making shots and you did not make shots in that game. Just point plain, plain and simple. But now you turn the page to the dream attack and you have, you have three games left in this regular season. I've just never been a fan of, you know, projecting you need to win one or two in the conference tournament because you know, as mentioned earlier, you know, things are kind of really finalized on Friday. So, you know, even if you make it to the semis, you know, that's not, it doesn't really help. There's not much they pay attention to. So I think you've got to do what you can in the regular season. 
And I think it starts on Saturday. Like that you winning the Notre Dame game also like not to say it doesn't matter because all losses and all wins matter, et cetera. But in the grand scheme of things, it, it wasn't going to, it's not going to make or break your resume. You winning that game, if you won that game and went one and two down the stretch here, I think you'd be just as worried. I think you'd be frightened because you'd still have, you know, either a really, really bad road road record if you lost to Virginia Tech. Or, you know, if you, if it's one and two and your only win is Georgia Tech, you lost to Virginia Tech on the road. So that's another road win. You couldn't, you don't really have a good road win. And then, you know, you lose another Q1 opportunity in Clemson. And you're like, and you're not only does your own winning streak snap, but it's just like, ah, you had a chance to beat another team in the field. And like, I don't think you would have felt great. I, I don't think you would have felt great at all. You know, I think you, I think two and one is where you want to sit. Obviously, three and zero is the ideal. Three and zero is you go three and zero. There is absolutely no way they're leaving you out. There's two and if you're two and one, I can see an argument of someone saying they don't deserve to be in the field. But in all honesty, I think you're if you're two and one, and I, I don't really I don't think there's a way you can spend two and one and you not get in. If you're two and one, and that one is Clemson, you know you still you didn't beat another team that was in the field in this stretch, uh, well, in this in this three game stretch, but you. Got a Q1 road win, something you do not have on your resume at all. It won't make the resume, you know, absolutely be tremendous, but it'll it'll stop you a little bit from from sticking out as much. It's like you know what they didn't perform that well, but at least they have a Q1 road win. If that one is Georgia Tech, I mean that's that's an ugly loss. I don't think I, that it's an ugly loss, but you'd also be sandwiched with a Q1 road win and a win over a and a win over a team that's like a four or five seed like a top 20 to 25 team like in this field so you know i i think you'll you'd be still be more than fine because virginia tech i think you would be you wouldn't be thrilled about it but you'd still have a like virginia tech's also a team that's not in the field like if i'm playing both sides of this coin virginia tech's just not in the field like they they just aren't and i don't and you know, it, it would take a miracle run for them to get in there just because I've I've stayed pretty steadfast that Q1 games aren't all created equally. Like I don't I thought I put this on the same level as the pit game. It would be a really, really nice to have. But I think the Clemson game is just more important. If I had to choose between the two of them, I think Clemson is just a more important game. I think it's a that's a team that is firmly, firmly, firmly in the field, top 20 to 25 at worst uh, team. You know, that's a, I think Clemson's one you got to have. I think you, I think you got to have him. If you don't get it, it's not the end of the world if you went, if you win the other two, but I think that Clemson game would be monumental. That being said, I think Virginia Tech is the better optics win right now, especially because you're coming off a loss against Notre Dame on the road. It's again, the road game, your road woes. I think you winning that game probably makes you kind of locked in because you win that game, come back home, you play Georgia Tech on Tuesday. I in all in in all faith, in all good faith, I cannot I, I know they just lost the Notre Dame. In all good faith, I just, it was on the road. I cannot pro- project Wake to lose at home to Georgia Tech. I just can't. Like I they just I just can't do it. Especially if you beat for James like I just can't do it, man. Road game and that road trap game that makes that makes all the sense in the world. There was a reason that was a six month spread. Like but uh, if you beat Virginia Tech, I think you, you smoke Georgia Tech and you're, you're already 2-0. and 
And at that point, you're really you're really just playing for that for that double buy. But all honesty, if you if you go three and zero, you're absolutely locked in. If you if you end up losing that Clemson game, it's not the end of the world. Like, and then you just rest up, go to the tournament, figure things out from there. Virginia Tech's been an interesting team. Um, I know people have have belated the point that Wake Forest has been a. I've seen the sentiment of Wake Forest is the worst road team in the country from Wake fans, not so much bracketologists. I've seen that. Go look at Virginia Tech on the road. Oh my God. The new they they are those neutral, those neutral court wins over Boise and Iowa State from November are doing one hell of a lot of work. They are one in nine. One in nine on the road in true road games. They have won one road game in conference and that was against NC state because sure that makes all the sense in the world. But obviously this game is, you know, this game is interesting, but you know, I, 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 this Virginia Tech team is just so awkward, man. Like, I don't want to use the keyword because I don't think they have, but it, it, it's felt like it's trending that way. You know, I, they had a big win over UVA at home where UVA just decided not hitting a shot was going to be fun. And then they just get smoked by Pittsburgh. And then they get smoked by Syracuse. Like, that game was a lot worse than that 13 points. Syracuse led that game wire to wire. That was awful. That was a bad performance from Virginia Tech. That was awful. You know, I'd say, and again, those two were on the road and they, they come back home to where they've, you know, they've gotten wins over Clemson. They've gotten wins over Boston College, Georgia Tech, Florida State, and obviously UVA. But, you know, the, the home wins aren't good. <laughs> like the Virginia is obviously a solid home win. But the rest of the home wins just are kind of, in Clemson, obviously, but like it's, it's hard with this team, man. It, this this team is a they can they fight. I think Mike Young is a fine coach. I don't know if he's the right coach for Virginia Tech, but I think he's a fine coach. The thing that bothers me of like why I feel like I'm bullish on this game more than I was on Notre Dame, not because of the spot, but just because of the type of team that Virginia Tech is. Like I went back and rewatched that game from earlier in the year, and it kind of stuck out. Like I forgot, Wake just like didn't shoot that well, like as a whole in that game. The first half, the first half they shot about 50% from the field. Uh, I think it was 51.5%. And they shot quote unquote 50% from the, from three, but they only took four threes in that, in that half. They weren't, that is, that is, I need to go back through, but I do not think they have had a half, a first half with fewer threes. Like I, I know they had four in the second half against, uh, against Florida, but like that is a, that is a insane number. Like they, most of their points came from just essentially from twos and turnovers. They didn't have an elite shooting day. Like they didn't, they ended up shooting 44% from the field, 36, 20% from three. So about like, you know, where they are, just the baseline is, but this wasn't a, this wasn't a game where wake absolutely just, you know, walloped people by shooting 60 or 70% from the field. Like they did against Duke, like they did against, keeps like it didn't against uh pittsburgh like like this isn't one of those this wasn't one of those games where everything was just on fire for wake they shot like they kind of shot poorly 
in that, especially in that second half. They shot awful. But I mean, and even that second half, they shot 37% from the field, 33% from from from, from three. Meanwhile, Virginia Tech shot 53% from from the field and 45% from, from three on 11 threes. Wake still won that half by three points. So that's one of those things. This is that's one of those ones where I kind of go, okay, you didn't beat the hell out of them because you were shooting well. You beat the hell out of them because of because because of just you played good solid defense. And to be quite honest, they're just not that athletic. Link Kid's a very athletic uh, center. You know, I like I like Couture, but on the whole, like Padula is not that athletic. Nickel isn't. Poti, no, Brand, Robbie Brand, no. Like Makai Long was Makai Long got his tail whipped by Andrew Carr in that game. He got whipped. And so, I mean, it this is one where if you play a a B game, if you play a B minus game, B game, which has been kind of the thing on the road the entire year, you haven't played a B game like at all. Like you Notre Dame was C minus at best. Like I think you're I think you're you're only like above C minus game was Georgia Tech and Georgia Tech had the worst shooting I've ever seen in my entire life. If you play a B minus a B to B minus game, you probably win this game by five to six points at least. Like this is this is a team that if you look at you know what they've done all year, it's been a it's been a fast team. And I think that's something that plays to Wake's strengths because I think Wake loves being in rhythm. Where Wake's Wake's problems this year have come have been in these slow, rhymy just muck, ugh, like these yuck games. Boston College slow, like made that game an absolute just slop fest. Virginia made that game, the second half of that game, an absolute slop fest. Notre Dame made that game a slop fest. Like they, Notre Dame that first half was running, running, running. And then that second half, Notre Dame decided to stop running. You know, they still didn't, they didn't change what they were doing defensively, but they just didn't put themselves in, the, in a position where, you know, Wake was constantly, constantly running. And, you know, that turned the tide. NC State, both games, just, and that's just who NC State is, just these grimy games. That's not Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is a team that, like, they don't rebound well. Um, like, their offensive rebounding is 299th in the country. And they don't defend well. Like, they just, they just don't. They are 200, they are 201st in two-point percentage allowed, 178th in threes in comp- during conference play. I take the filters off the conference play. It doesn't get much better, like at all. Like they, they, they just are not that good in terms of, of terms of defense. They they struggle to to defend guards, and you know they're a little bit undersized when it comes to the. There comes to their front court. They survive a lot by being a solid offense. They've been a pretty. They're fourth in the conference in offense, second in effective field goal. They don't. They turn the ball over a little bit, but. You know, they they shoot and, you know, they're they're first in the conference, two point percentage, fifth and three point like they their entire game is what Wake Forest loves to do, which is the run, which is I'm, I'm a little bit intrigued to see if Wake breaks out the, the press again. They did not press. They didn't press well at all against Notre Dame, but they against Virginia Tech. That was something they did essentially the entire game. And Virginia Tech just doesn't have didn't have the athletes to deal with it. So I'm curious if they do it. But I think this game is a very important one for for not metrics, but just in terms of perception. And if you win this, people are back on your side. 
you know, and you are in a better position with it going into the last week of the regular season. You can lose it, but I, I think perception-wise, this is one I think you you got you got to have. Thank you all for listening so much. I always love doing these. As always, good eeks. <laughs>